All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. So glad you could join us on this Wednesday, January 12th. We're grateful for all you do when you come to our site and read Just the News articles, when you watch us on television on our good friend station, Real America's Voice, or when you come listen to this podcast. We appreciate you and what you do and the fact that you're looking for information that you can make up your own mind about. That's what we're here to do. And we are always grateful. And today, we're going to try to earn your trust and fulfill that promise one more time. We have not one, but two amazing guests. Joining us today is an attorney general who just last Friday was sitting before the United States Supreme Court as his team argued against one of the Biden vaccine mandates, the one for healthcare workers. Joining us today, Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry with an amazing interview. And I want to talk a little bit about that in a second. But let me tell you who our second guest is, the former Secretary of State of the great state of Ohio, Ken Blackwell, one of America's great election experts. He calls balls and strikes as he sees them. He's not overtly partisan. He wants to make America a country where it always is easier to vote and harder to cheat. And we're going to ask him about these big developments in Georgia, the allegations and now a confirmed investigation into cheating ballot harvesting possible in the 2020 election by liberal activists. Again, it's an allegation, hasn't been proven, but there's some pretty compelling evidence from a group, and we're going to find out if they deliver on that. But we're going to talk to Ken Blackwell, former Secretary of the State of Ohio, about that, about President Biden's comments yesterday, that somehow asking for voter ID is Jim Crow 2.0, and then also, what still needs to be fixed? There's been some laws passed. Some states have made gains in finding the ways to fix election laws, make integrity better, voting easier, cheating harder. The mainstream media often lies about what those laws do, as do many of the liberal activists. But we're going to have Ken Blackwell referee for us. What's been done? What's on the to-do list? And I think one of the topics that are going to come up a lot non-citizen voting. That is gaining steam in some of these left liberal-leaning cities. New York City, 800,000 voters now going to be able to vote 
even though they're foreigners, they're not citizens of the United States. They are foreigners. They're going to be allowed to vote in city, local elections. That's happened in San Francisco. It's happened in eight communities in Maryland and two in Vermont that I know of. It is a growing practice. I can't wait to hear what Secretary Blackwell has to say about that. All right. I want to step back for a second because there is one thing happening this week that I believe makes a statement about multiple efforts by the Biden administration and Democrats, who I believe believe they're doing the right thing. I think they believe their, their ideology, their Kool-Aid. But I want you to think through the gap here. And let's start with the implications for voting rights. Yesterday, the president, the vice president, claimed that asking for a voter ID, we need to eradicate voter ID requirements because it's Jim Crow 2.0. It is racist, they argue, to ask someone to have an ID in order to come to vote. It disproportionately affects blacks or minority voters. Now, keep in mind, black voting has been going up and as a percentage of the United States, more blacks voted in the last election than ever before, okay? Keep that in mind, that there doesn't seem to be a problem. If there was suppression, you would assume that black voting, African-American voting would be going down, but it's going up. And that's a great thing for America. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of every community, blue, red, white, yellow, whatever color your political flag is. That's good for America, that more people are engaged, more people are able to access the ballot box because it's the greatest gift Americans gave. But if it is racist to ask for a voter ID in order for me to vote as a white man or a black man or a black woman, Hispanic woman, whatever. Think about this. The District of Columbia, under Democratic rule, Muriel Bowser, under the nose of our president, Joe Biden, he's a resident of D.C. The White House is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The D.C. government, starting this weekend, can stop me and ask for my ID and ask for my vaccination card or deny me entry to the grocery store, to a restaurant, to an entertainment venue, for any indoor venue. How is that not racist if asking for my voter ID is racist? The answer is there's an inconsistency, a hypocrisy, a double standard. If you can be asked for your ID to get life-nourishing food from your grocery store or to go to a restaurant to get a burger or to go to Walmart and get water, for your baby's formula. If that's not racist, how could it be racist to ask my voter ID to exercise the most precious gift America's ever given us, the right to vote, our founding father's greatest power over our government? That's the first thing I want you to perplex. And the second thing is, I wanna take you back to, and and we're gonna talk about Ken Blackwell with that very issue. I think Ken Blackwell has a lot to say about the contrast between the District of Columbia and what the president said in Atlanta last night. But let's step back a little further and do something else and consider this for a second. The Biden administration's vaccine posture right now with the mandates, particularly on healthcare workers, which Attorney General Landry is the lead plaintiff and helped argue against on Friday for the Supreme Court, the nine justices. The original goal in March 2020, according to our public health apparatus, was we needed to flatten the curve and preserve resources for overworked, stretched thin hospital and frontline healthcare workers. Seemed reasonable. It didn't work. We didn't ever flatten the curve. But it seemed like the reasonable thing. Well, in the last few days, Joe Biden has managed to blow up the curve 
On Joe Biden's watch, Omicron has brought upwards of 1.5 million cases a day and record hospitalizations. And at the same time that's going on, right? Maybe we've learned that the virus is smarter than our protections and that really managing it rather than conquering it is the only opportunity, which by the way, some of the smartest people like Harvey Rich and Jay Bhattacharya, both who've been on this show, great epidemiologists, they've been arguing for two years. It seems like their philosophy is coming into vogue at a very embarrassed CDC and NIH and Anthony Fauci. But set all that aside, At the same time, we blew up the curve with record hospitalizations, record numbers of cases, albeit this version of the virus seems to be less lethal, and that's a great thing. Thank God. I'm glad for it. But the president has handicapped hospitals and frontline healthcare workers by saying, if you don't have your vaccination, you can't go to work. We've blown up the curve and diminished the resources of hospitals in the middle of the worst surge of covid we've had yet in terms of overall numbers not in terms of severity right delta and earlier versions clearly were more lethal all right that's what the vice president that's what the president has done we didn't flatten the curve we blew up the curve we didn't preserve hospital resources we eroded them that is the record that this president has achieved and that's a fact that's not an opinion i'm not giving you opinions but that is the scenario we set in and that is why jeff landry attorney general louisiana was about to join us right after the commercial break he filed the lawsuit just think about that we're going to hear from him what it was like to be before the supreme court what he reads as a tea leaves from the justices why he challenged this law and what's going on in louisiana hospitals is there a shortage because of the vaccine mandate we're going to get all those answers right after this commercial break Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time 
IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, we've been talking a lot on this show about the extraordinary rise of state rights, attorneys, generals and governors exercising their power, moving the federal government out of their business and and uh, really arguing for freedom and personal choice in America. And my next guest is at the forefront of that extraordinary fight. Joining me right now is the great attorney general from the state of Louisiana, Jeff Landry. Attorney General Landry, great to have you on. Well, thank you for having me. It is a remarkable moment. I, last Friday, uh, there you and your team were arguing before the United States Supreme Court challenging the Biden administration's vaccine mandate on healthcare workers. Tell us why you're challenging that and what sort of impact the mandate has on your state and your hospitals. Yeah, very, very interesting. You know, um, I, I was amazed at the amount of people that actually listened to the four hours of, uh, of of questioning by the justices. They had only allotted us two hours and then we took four. So very, very interesting case last Friday. We're there because the underlying question is, never before have we seen the federal government reach into American citizens' lives, dictate medical procedures on them, right. uh, and, and dictate it in a coercive manner where they coerce the use of our jobs and our livelihoods in order to ensure that that they that they participate in that medical procedure. I mean, think about that for a second. The federal government is mandating medical procedures on American citizens and doing it in a manner that coerces them and holding a gun to their head because they said if you don't take the shot, you're gonna lose your job. Right? So it's just like a jab's a job. It is, you right? Know? And, you have to choose, and, yeah. And so that's why we were there. What's interesting is that we're supposed to have, and I'm hoping that we do, have a court now that recognizes that there are limitations on the federal government. And so think about that. If the answer to the question I pose to you is, can the federal government mandate a medical procedure on American citizens? And if the answer to that is yes, then what are the limitations to the federal government? Right. And 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 so that's really where we are. It was, a, it was interesting. You know, the... The disappointing part of it, John, was the fact that we had justices like Sotomayor and Kagan and, and, and Breyer try to inject political discussions, right, right? And, and then misinterpret facts or yeah. flat out just misstate facts. The CDC director actually called out uh, Justice Sotomayor for saying something wrong. Uh, uh, that was quite a moment, and that was your hearing, yeah. Right. And, and so, but think about that. I mean, we're supposed to be in the halls of justice under which we're arguing about the merits and the law. And that's not the questioning that we got from them. Uh, and I think it, I think it was, it, 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 it was, a, it, it could be a turning point. I mean, you know, what is the direction of this country after this ruling? That's how important this ruling is. Because what are the limitations of the federal government? Now, I I was hoping that we'd have a decision over the weekend. We didn't. I was hoping they would issue a decision on Monday when they when they they publish some orders. They didn't. Tomorrow, they're supposed to publish some opinions. And uh, I mean, because, again, the OSHA mandate is in is in place. 
it's being put into action. Yes. And and so I think that, that there's a lot of anxiety around the country amongst workers and employers. And the court has the responsibility to answer the question to put at rest some of that anxiety. Yeah, and there is a lot of anxiety. And you know what's interesting about the case that you brought, because obviously several of these mandates are being challenged, but this one goes after the very healthcare heroes who helped us get through the first two, three waves of COVID. And now we've told them they don't have a choice to make. They have to do this or they lose their job. What is that like to know that you're arguing on behalf of these amazing heroes that got us through so much of the pandemic? Well, here's the, the reason I'm there is because of them, because I recognize the heroic deeds, the bravery and the courage that many of those frontline providers gave to us during the pandemic at the very onset when we did not know what exactly the virus was, what it affected, what was the mortality rate, who was susceptible to it. And remember, they rushed into it just like a fireman into a burning fire to save someone. That's right. They, 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 sure they risked their own lives. And look, there were doctors and nurses that died from the virus at the very beginning in taking care of the patients. So I took offensive to, I think it was Justice Kagan or uh, Justice Breyer's comments that, that, well, what about, you know, shouldn't we mandate this vaccine on these healthcare workers because they're endangering these patients and these patients are going to die? I find it very offensive in that, you don't believe that these healthcare workers know what's best for themselves and their right. patients. They, they, we certainly didn't question their logic and, and, and their decision-making at the early onset. And now all of a sudden we are again, that speaks volumes to, you know, to how far we've come in the hypocrisy that, that the left has made in this vac- these vaccine mandates. Yeah, it is such an amazing thing. Those arguments were just chock full of, you really got to see the divide in America. Uh, there's one side that believes in individual choice and the expertise of these medical experts. By the way, none of those justices went to medical school. They went to law school. These are people that have the expertise to make these decisions. And yet one side was arguing, we need to strip that from them, that there's only one size fits all. Now, I want to ask you, uh, how are you beginning to see, because I know one of your arguments is, this a CMS mandate would create a healthcare shortage. Are you beginning to see healthcare shortages in uh, Louisiana as a result of this mandate? And what is the if this was were allowed to stand? What does that look like long term for the hospital system in Louisiana? I do. I mean, we have heard from a number of providers who said that instituting this particular mandate will cause them to be short staffed, right? And if you think about where we started from the very beginning of this pandemic and that the goal was to flatten the curve, to increase healthcare capacity, to ensure that everyone had adequate access to healthcare and the facilities, then we've come in in this wicked, twisted, perverted way full circle, and now we're implementing policies that actually diminish healthcare capacity, that actually diminish the access of uh, the uh, the ability of people to access healthcare facilities because we're putting in place mandates that people don't like, that they want to have a decision as to what are the best healthcare choices for themselves. And so many of them either quitting or being sidelined. And so that diminishes the capacity. And we have saw that. We saw yeah. that. We saw that when they instituted the mandate. We saw that once we got the injunction that those people returned to work. And so, again, the government should not be standing between you and your doctor. 
That's such an important point, and that came through loud and clear in the arguments on Friday. So you really, you really sense that that was the fulcrum issue on which this case is going to turn. Now, you've also been instrumental in challenging some of the other uh, mandates, and one of them is one that we're not talking a lot about in the mainstream media. I, we've been talking it a lot here, just the news. You've been the leading voice on this. The uh, mandate on the uh, head first uh, head start uh, program and the possibility that there are children that are going to be disenfranchised from education if uh, vaccine mandates aren't imposed. Tell us why you intervene on that. And what are the long term consequences to those children if this mandate stands in place? Well, again, I think what you're seeing in this mandate, as the others, is exactly the question that. Chief Justice Roberts posed to the government is that is the government trying to like occupy the shoreline or occupy the field or just basically institute a nationwide vaccine mandate agency by agency? And the Head Start program mandate is is another example right. of that. I mean, th- and then and then this mandate does two things. It mandates masks for two year olds and enforces the vaccination of teachers in a Head Start program, which is a program that, 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 that basically supports and serves the most underserved communities around the country. And so, again, if we're looking to help the educational system, if we're looking to provide more and better services to the underserved, this is doing the opposite of that. We're, we're, we're actually doing the opposite in this particular mandate. And so we filed suit. We actually got, um, it's actually bipartisan now. It because is. The state of Iowa has joined us. We've got numerous organizations with affidavits of, 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 of school districts that said, listen, we cannot implement. This is going to basically impair and impede our Head Start program. And then, and then just think about this. You're going to mask two-year-olds. That's at an yeah. age when we're trying to teach them how to talk, right? Right. right. And so you're going to try to teach a two-year-old how to talk with a mask on? I mean, you think, you think they can keep it and wear it properly? Yeah, that was one of your most compelling arguments, the potential here that you're impeding child development. And this is a generation of children already that's had the most disruptive education experience in well over a half century or more, maybe going back to World War II. Uh, they've, they've had maybe a whole year without classes in many states. They haven't been able to see their teacher's face and learn facial expressions. And now they want to impose this. And it's important to remind, because I think this is a point you made several times. Um, the children in Head Start are often children already at a disadvantage economically, socially. Uh, and, and so you're really concerned about the long-term impact on the the development of these children, aren't you? Correct, because the Head Start program was designed specifically to help and aid children from working families, single mothers, uh, underserved areas, or those under which the elderly were raising, let's say, a grandchild, right? So it was a supplement to kind of to kind of springboard them into their educational um, start, right? That's what it Head Start It's trying to give them the leg up. And yet these particular policies do the opposite of that. They basically curtail the ability for the teachers and those that participate in the Head Start program to actually allow those kids to get meaningful, a meaningful start on their educational opportunities. Uh, we've got an injunction on it. We, we, we're, we're pleased with the court's ruling. Of course, I'm guessing everybody is just waiting kind of to see what the Supreme Court does in the, in the, in the two cases that we talked about earlier. Yeah, those are going to be, I think they'll set the tone for the rest of this thing. It's a funny moment, though. Uh, we've gone from flatten the curve to raise the curve. We're at all-time record high cases. Uh, and instead of increasing 
the capabilities of hospitals and schools to uh, treat and educate. We've, we're diminishing them right now. We've literally reversed the original goals of what the government said they set out to do. And I think your cases more than any others have really, really pointed those out. I want to move to another subject because you are one of the most articulate voices on this and one of the most passionate voices on that modern day slavery, uh, human trafficking. We just uh, recognized or uh, observed uh, Human Trafficking Day and, and you have been really concerned about an effort to weaken some of the laws against human trafficking and sexual abuse. Talk a little bit about what's been going on and why you're working so hard to preserve um, some of the laws that have been, have been effective in, in, in cracking down on this horrible scourge. Well, I think first it's important to understand why we have these problems, right? Why has human trafficking raised its ugly head here in this country? Right. Uh, because it really, it's like a form of slavery. It is. Uh, and, and that is number one, I would tell you that the number one reason human trafficking is so prevalent in this country is because of the poorest border and the problems that we have with a failed immigration policy uh, that the Democrats have embarked this nation upon, right? In other words, it grants more rights to those who come into the country legally than those that are here legally. And that's a particular problem. It creates an underground network. It feeds drugs and, and, and the black market. And, and, of course, I always believe that the best way to deter crime is through the court system, through a judicial system that basically where the crime fits, where the penalty fits the particular crime. Uh, and, 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 again, when you think about human trafficking and the effect it has on the individual, right? Because we're seeing human trafficking. It's, it's not, it's not what you may think of like the 18, 19, uh, 25 year old or young woman who's being trafficked. Certainly they fit into that particular demographic as well. But what we've seen at nauseum is children that are basically enslaved in human trafficking. And that again, the, you know, the, the root cause it is, is a porous border. Yeah, it really is. And we've made it a lot porous in the last uh, year under the Biden administration. Uh, what, uh, let me just finish with that. I know you're very busy. I want to just ask you this question. How much impact, you know, people think that the uh, the border or often in Washington, we are, well, the border is just a border state issue, but these uh, illegal aliens with their needs and their, their uh, uh, sometimes crime, uh, but they also have a lot of, uh, you know, health and human service needs. They're being dispersed across the country. What sort of impact does a state like Indi- uh, um, Louisiana feel in, in uh, this year of open border? I mean, it's been so large, the influx. I, I assume that you're seeing real impacts on your social safety net. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, states see a direct impact to their bottom line on the illegal immigration problem. I mean, instead of, you know, 10 years ago, dealing with those that had come into the country, sealed the border off, figuring out a way to deal with who's in there, ensuring that if you break the law in this country, if we catch you in this country here illegally, in addition to the fact that you broke one of our criminal laws, you should be deported immediately, should be a de facto immediately. No, you know, Go directly to your y- y- uh, home country. Do not pass go. Kind of like in Monopoly, right? Right. Go directly to jail. If you break the laws in this country, if you found here to be legally, which you broke the law to, begin- to get in here, then you, in addition, you basically victimize someone in this country, then you should be immediately deported. There should not be a question of that. Like, again, I think it speaks volumes to how far we've come to ruining the, the premise of America. What makes America special? Why do people want to come to America? Because of the freedoms and liberties we instill on our citizens. 
And we've always had a robust immigration system. And and by saying these things doesn't mean that you're anti-immigrant. No, you're just saying that, guess what? We want a pathway to citizenship for people who want to come from around the world. And we want it done in a proper, you know, uniformed way. Yeah, that is exactly right. And that downstream impact actually, in many cases, makes the life for immigrants worse, not better. They get surrounded by crime. Maybe they're abused on the way to the border by these trafficking gangs, which we know there's a lot of evidence of that. That's why you've been fighting this uh, front and center, sir. It's a great honor to have you on the show. We're going to be watching really closely. If you had to predict, and you, after watching the justices, what do you think happens with your case? You know, look, I think here's what I do know. I do know that if you look at the merits and the law, right. we should win on both. Uh, I've heard the legal pundits and, and scholars say, look, I'm, the OSHA mandate is absolutely going to be struck down, but I right. don't know about the CMS uh, mandate. But I think if you look into and understand the nuances of where we were and what was before the court, I think the court really has to do some interesting gymnastics, right? Um, it's a it's a big, deadly ob- legal obstacle course for them to strike OSHA I mean, to strike OSHA down and uphold CMS. The the two, to a certain extent, are tied to each other. So, I don't know. We'll see, and um, we'll pray. Yeah. Well, prayer has always been a helpful thing in my life, I know for sure. And, uh, sir, it's an honor to have you on and really to watch what's, uh, what your office has been doing, really exercising the rights of states and trying to keep this country on the path that uh, its founding father set us on over 250 years ago. So thank you so much for joining us and explaining all the good work you're doing. Okay, thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, the former Secretary of State of the great state of Ohio, one of the election law experts in America, Ken Blackwell's joining us. We've got to have a talk about what's been going on in Georgia and around the country. The sudden move to focus on a possible form of cheating in the 2020 election known as ballot harvesting. Big discussion up next right after this commercial break. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. My next guest is one of my favorite election experts in the entire country, uh, a true man of integrity, the former Secretary of State of Ohio, and a good friend, Ken Blackwell. Secretary Blackwell, good to have you on the show again. Hey, John, it's always good to be with you, sir. I want to start with something that's kind of broken in the Just the News world the last couple of weeks, Um, uh, some confirmation from uh, the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffsenberger, that he's opened an investigation into an allegation, it's just an allegation at this point, uh, that there may have been some mass harvesting going on, liberal activists collecting the votes of people they weren't entitled to collect and and delivering them to these um, mobile ballot boxes, the drop boxes that became famous in the 2020 election. Your thoughts on what that investigation should look at and uh, what it might mean if it substantiates the allegation that's been made. Well, John, the, the, the Georgia law was fairly specific. It, it basically said that uh, ballots that were handled uh, outside of the particular voter uh, had to be done by a family member, had to have a witness signature, uh, and it could not be a widespread practice. Uh, and, and so any evidence, uh, any su- suspicious behavior or, or um, data that suggests that an individual uh, turned in ballots, collected ballots, turned them in, one, that were not uh, family members, uh, two, didn't have witness signatures, uh, then uh, the, the secretary is right in pursuing this. You know, there's an old adage uh, that our parents uh, operated on, and that is that if you reward bad behavior, if you turn a blind eye to bad behavior, all you're going to get is more bad behavior. And so this has to be uh, aggressively uh, pursued, examined, uh, and, and, and prosecuted, or you're, in fact, going to see a, a dwindling of public confidence in the results because what you will have created at that point is an uneven playing field where somebody's vote <laughs> counts more than another or right. somebody was allowed to do something that the other side or others were not allowed to do. That erodes public confidence. Uh, and and it, election integrity, it's about putting policies and practices in place that build public confidence in the result, even if the result is not the result that you were hoping for. Yeah, such a great point. Such a very good point. When you look out now, ironically, or maybe not ironically, uh, it was President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris yesterday that were down in Atlanta, in Georgia, right where this investigation has been launched and making the case for federalizing uh, election law, uh, dictating to states they can't do voter ID, they can't, they have to mail everybody out to every ballot, whether you request it or not. When you look as some, you, you administered elections for many years in Ohio, you're one of the most respected uh, people ever hold that office. What does this federal law, the John Lewis law, whatever you want to call it, because it has different names, different, what are these federal efforts uh, to uh, take over uh, elections, what do they really do uh, to the country if they succeed? It's a crass power grab by the, and, and excuse my French, the clown car that is now <laughs> running <laughs> Washington, D.C. Uh, and let me, let me put it in this context, John. You know, if you look at polling data, 
uh, that data shows that Joe Biden and his policies are are not popular because folks don't believe that their those initiatives are fair or that they're 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 working. So we have soaring inflation, out of control gas prices, a devastating uh, supply chain uh, crisis, COVID cases, uh, and and COVID deaths at an all time high, and this just spells political disaster. And this is the same group that now wants to take control in an unconstitutional manner over elections in our country. It's been part of the genius of our constitutional republic is that it utilizes the principle of subsidiarity, and that is giving people control of their lives at the most basic levels. So first with the individual, then with the family, then with the community, the city, the state, and then there are matters that the federal government can be involved in. But elections take place at the local level in a decentralized way because one, that is where you have transparency, that's where you have familiarity. That's where you where you have buy-in. And and if you start to take it away from states and localities, you run the risk of the same clown car that has driven this constitutional republic to a disastrous edge, taking control of our elections. It won't stand. And I would just say, quoting one of the historic figures, Thomas Paine, those who expect to weep the blessings of freedom must undergo the fatigue of supporting it. That is what we now are seeing across this country. People are, in fact, resisting this stupidity. It is a remarkable uh, moment in history. And, and, you know, the most powerful force in American politics has always been the will of the people. And I'm scratching my head on some of these provisions in the voting book, because when you ask people, is it okay to ask someone for an ID before they vote? Because it's such an important act that you take on a right that we have. 70, 80% of Americans, black, white, Hispanic, young, old, say that's a good idea. Joe Biden calls it Jim Crow, too. And I want to contrast something that actually is real here in District of Columbia, where I I work every day. There are emergency orders that take in effect this weekend that allow an officer or city official to stop you on the street starting on Saturday uh, to see if you have your ID with you and proof of your vaccination if you're out in public. It can be done as you enter a uh, restaurant here, too. Uh, If it's okay to ask me for my ID for COVID protections, why is it wrong to ask me for my ID for the most precious right our founding fathers gave us? How do Democrats reconcile those two episodes and say we're being consistent as a party? Well, they're they're, they're not consistent. Uh, And what they're talking about with these mandates and and these uh, demands uh, for ID uh, at the drop of a hat on the street is the stuff of statism. You know, uh, to equate these common sense reforms that states are putting in place to ensure the integrity of the election system 
as being a throwback to Jim Crow is an insult to all Americans, especially those in the African-American community. I would just suggest that folks go to the website of the American uh, America First Policy Institute right. and look at the statement that Dr. Alveda King and I did on the Biden-Harris speech regarding the Freedom to Cheat Act. That's what we call it, right? Freedom to Cheat. <laughs> go and, and, and look at that. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that as Lincoln said it, you know, we're not a perfect nation or perfect union, but we are a perfectible union. And we we have, in fact, since the days of Jim Crow, gotten better. These guys made these allegations yesterday, uh, but they couldn't surface one bit of evidence of voter suppression. It was a lot of foot stomping, arm waving, hot rhetoric. But there were no facts, no cases presented. You know why, John? Because, in fact, black folks voted at a higher percentage than the rest of the population in the last election. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. We're trying to fix a problem that doesn't exist. Absolutely. You know, that's that's what we have here. And so I I think we, we, we have to push back. You know, just think about how common sense it is to, in fact, have a photo ID, to pick up tickets at a will call window at a baseball game, to take out a library book. I mean, you just go down to get on an airplane, and you and I have talked about it before. These woke corporations, whether it's Major League Baseball or Delta Airlines, can you imagine, can you just imagine me going up to a, a, a ticket counter at Delta and, and and to purchase a ticket, and they said, can we have an ID? And I give them my utility bill. They would run me away from there. They would. Yeah. No, they're like, what, yeah, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, this, so this is just, John, this is, these are, these are common sense reforms that bolster the confidence in the outcome of election because people then have evidence that people are who they claim to be. And that's why we want to keep things at the precinct level. And we want transparency and involvement and engagement at the precinct level. That's the basic level within the community where people have a sense of community. But the, but the, but the left and Harris and Biden, they're not interested in community. And King said it best in a book in the mid 60s. We have a choice. We can choose community and chaos. And we can see from the policy initiatives of the Biden administration, they choose division and chaos, not community, and not constitutional action that actually invests not in the administrative state of the federal government, but in fact, in local state and local communities. John, we are free citizens not subjects. And the fact that in D.C. in a few weeks, they're going to be able to demand to see your ID and some evidence of your having been vaccinated. And, 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 and the, the language that they use, that is not a vaccination. That's not a vaccine. Right. It is not. 
You nope. know, it's no more of a shot uh, vaccine than a flu shot is. Yeah. They don't call the flu shot a vaccine. Right. Yeah, because it only lasts I, a short I, period of time. Yeah. I had to have more punches from this shoot, from this, <laughs> this, uh, this this COVID shot than I do a flu shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's because amazing. It, 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 look, I, it, it don't, don't get me started, but just think about this. These woke corporations, the NCAA is now saying as they get close to March Madness, that if, in fact, a college athlete, a basketball player, can prove that they've had COVID and they're within 90 days of having had COVID, that their natural immunity will, in fact, suffice for a card, which, in fact, undercuts all of the nonsense and misinformation that CDC has put out there. Such a great point. They haven't been right about much. I'll tell you, you, we spent billions to build this public health infrastructure and almost on a daily basis, they're stepping on their own message, contradicting themselves, reversing, going back and forth. Meanwhile, some scientists who've been very consistent from the beginning, yeah, vaccines play a role, but there are other things we should be doing. They're finally coming into vogue. I heard the CDC director for the first time Last week, she sounded like the the scientists from Yale, like Harvey Risch or uh, the scientists from Stanford and others who who did the Great Barrington Declaration. This public health structure that we wasted billions on came around to what few people had right in March of 2020. It's really remarkable to to be so disappointed. I know you're a big big believer in small government, right? You're a true constitutionalist. Are you encouraged when you look at these states that are now exercising their rights to attorney general lawsuits, to executive orders, uh, all the fun that I think Ron DeSantis is having in Florida now as Democrats come visit him after uh, impugning him. Do you see an era where maybe America is moving back closer to our founding fathers' vision of federalism and states' rights? I really really do. And it's because we have not allowed folks to gaslight us. And I'll I'll just use in a the the Republican Party for in in this country, you would think that we represent some lunatic fringe, but the fact of the matter is Republicans have more governorships, they have more uh, chambers of state legislatures, more county commission seats. I mean, the reality is that we have a fifty fifty U.S. Senate, uh, and there's only five votes to separate us in the House. We, by no means, are a 60-pound weakling minority party in this country. <laughs> That's you right. Know, and, 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 and as we, in fact, have people standing up saying, we are not flyover country. We are grassroots Americans. We are free citizens, not subjects. And we are going to use our God-given human agency to engage and demand that we, in fact, have our freedom. As I've told you before, Aristotle sums it up. He said there's a dynamic tension between the organized power of the state and individual liberty. The more muscular the individual state, I mean, the more muscular the state, the, the less individual liberty that we have. And so the framers of our Constitution put a harness, put a restraint on the power and reach of government to optimize individual liberty. And we, in fact, are now seeing men and women, workers across this country, saying that we have headed up to big government liberalism and socialism uh, and these 
and these Marxist advocates that have something in common with failed states throughout human history, but that have a central government theme. Those, those forces do two things. They try to run God and faith out of the public square, and they, in fact, try to destroy the family because the family is the incubator of liberty. If you destroy the family, you build dependency on the state. And if, in fact, you run God and faith and, and, and religious liberty out of the public square, what do you have? You have a context where, in fact, people begin to believe that their fundamental rights are not gifts from God, but grants from government. Yeah. And they move from being free citizens to being subjects of the state. And in fact, our, 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 our revolutionary founders and, and ancestors did not fight to give us what we have for us to surrender it to these knuckleheads. You will have to ask for government's blessing to go get groceries this weekend in the District of Columbia. You'll, you'll have to meet the requirements of a photo ID and a vaccine card to go indoors to a shopping market to get food so your family can eat. Uh, that is that is the exact epitome of exactly what you're talking about, Mr. Secretary. You're so right. I want to round up with something because you are one of the most eloquent voices and I think also big thinkers in terms of how we continue to make our voting system better. It's already a very good system, but we want to make it easier to vote, harder to cheat. And I think there's a lot of things that came as learnings uh, to the Republican Party, to the mainstream America uh, about the 2020 election. What are some of the things that states need to still work on to perfect this system? Well, one, we need to, in, in my opinion, look at two tracks. And that is the chain of custody. And so there shouldn't be a lot of time between when the ballot leaves the hand of the voter and when it is counted. Uh, and, and there should not be a lot of hands that touch that ballot. So continuing to look at the chain of custody, making sure that we have a tight, secure chain of custody will always be forefront in the forefront of our thinking and, 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 and our initiatives to get a better system. The other is the verification track, making sure the voters are who they claim to be. And look, we in fact have a, we have duties as citizens, not just rights, but duties. And as long as it is reasonable, as long as it is as common sense, we should take the steps to make sure that voters are who they claim to be, because ultimately that will continue to build confidence in the outcome of the system and it will preserve our system and its vitality. Uh, and so looking at photo ID requirements, tightening the chain of, of, of custody, uh, making sure that we prosecute wrongdoers so people don't believe that they have uh, they, they can violate the, the law with, without, uh, with, with no risk of being caught and prosecuted. Uh, and, and again, this is, John, this is, this is so much um, a part of the challenge of America today. It is. Uh, and, and, and life within our, 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 our cities. We cannot let smash and gram grab become 
you know, commonplace. Right. Uh, and and, and we, 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 we have to understand that the government's first obligation is to create a context of neighborhood safety, municipal safety, national security. Uh, it, you know, they, we need to get that right. And so the same clown card that has now made every town a border, uh, a border town because yep. they surrendered our, our southern border, it's the same folks who want to have not only uh, a, a nation without borders, they want voters without borders. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we have to push back with common sense solutions. It is such an important thing. The the idea that the largest city in America, the Big Apple, is going to allow 800,000 foreigners, non-citizens, to vote in local elections, which, by the way, San Francisco, Chicago, many communities in Maryland are already doing or moving towards uh, Vermont, two communities in Vermont, is just shocking to most Americans. I, I was around with some friends over the weekend, and like, you know, they let, you know, foreigners are allowed to vote. No, they're not. Like, no, they are. No, no they're, they're arguing with me. I'm like, no, look, you got to look at these stories. I don't think people realize how far the principles of American citizenship have been destroyed in the last few years with these policies. And it's because of great and eloquent voices like yours that we're able to fight back and get Americans the truth. And uh, I'm always grateful for everything you do, Secretary Blackwell. You really are such an influential voice in, in the in the keeping America the way it always was meant to be. Well, thank you, thank you, John. And in the words of uh, <laughs> the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass, yes, those who are whooped easiest are whooped most often. We, as American free citizens, are not going to be whooped. We're going to push back. We're going to fight, and we're going in American tradition. We're going to win. Words of wisdom, centuries old, still relevant today. Uh, That's uh, a great way to end this great interview. Thank you so much, Secretary, for all you do for your country and also for spending so much quality time with us today. Thank you, John. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. So grateful you joined. So happy you could assist us in learning today, joining along with us with such great guests like the Attorney General of Louisiana, Jeff Landry, and of course, the former Secretary of State and renowned election law expert, Ken Blackwell. I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to be back tomorrow with more news, more exciting revelations of fact. We're not here to indoctrinate. We're here to give you information and let you make up your own mind. I call it information with impact. 
All right. May God bless you and may God bless this extraordinary country of the United States, as he always has. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.